An upset of historic proportions, one of the biggest collapses in all of pro sports. We got to watch it live last night. I'm not talking about the Penguins. Two years after winning a Stanley Cup championship, swept in the first round of the NHL playoffs by New York. I'm talking the Tampa Bay Lightning. 62 mm-hmm. game winners in the regular season, and now they're out the door. Tanner Hoops with you in the Sports Pen Wednesday afternoon. John Michael Hoefling from ABC 10 in with me. What's up, Michael? Not much. Not much. Like you said, historic. Historic. We were talking last week. We said that this would be one of the biggest failures in all of hockey history if they don't win the Cup this year. I wasn't expecting at all that they would get swept in the first round. In fact, I didn't think there would be a series in the first round that would be a straight sweep, let alone this one. Yeah, this was the one series that I thought would be a sweep. But Did you? I thought it would go the other way around. <laughs> but, I mean, like I said last week, uh, this was a good determiner to see if the Lightning were up to it. I said, watching that first game, if they couldn't take that first game, I think it was going to set the tone for the entire Lightning playoff run. And I guess it did for the most part because it sort of destroyed them. They have gone consistently backwards since going to the Cup Final in 2015. They were there in 2015. They lost to Pittsburgh in the Eastern Conference Finals in the 2016, so they went back around. Uh, 2017, they went lost back. Lost to the Capitals, I believe, in the yeah, Conference Finals. Yeah, I think so. And now they're out. They did all this rebuilding after last year. They built around a, already a pretty good team after getting bounced in the second round, and they were all prepared to take that next step and looked like they were going to winning 62 regular season games and here they are they're the first team officially out of the playoffs it makes me think like is doing too well in the regular season bad for a team it could be because when was their last meaningful game they had everything locked up about a month ago yeah and well and you you take a look at Similar seasons like this, not just in the NHL, but in every other sport. The 73-9 and Warriors mm-hmm. couldn't, couldn't pull it out. The, the 116-win Mariners in 2001 couldn't pull it out. The 1903 Cubs, 116-game winners, couldn't pull it out. The Red Wings, who won 62 games in 96, couldn't pull it out. Don't it, forget the 07 Patriots. Yeah, the 07 Patriots, <laughs> 16-0, and 0, that's right. None of those teams won a title, and yet they've all set the record for most regular season wins in their respective sports. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. So, but then you look at other teams. It's like, how many wins is too many wins? Like the 72 and 10 Chicago Bulls won with mm. Jordan. How many is too much? But 73 is too much. 72, yeah. just right. Yeah, that's just right to be a great team. <laughs> or what was it? The 67 win Mavericks mm-hmm. lost in the first round of the Warriors mm-hmm. in 2007. It makes no sense. No. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it is something like where you don't play meaningful games, and that's what hampers you. Although the Warriors were striving to break that record for 73, so even though they had everything locked up, they were still playing meaningful games. And, you know, they didn't get bounced in the first round. They made the NBA Finals, came one game away. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I mean, it's got to be, doesn't it? It's. I mean, I'm thinking it might be a tired thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you play so many games, the Warriors were obviously going for that win record, and you think by not resting Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, Durant wasn't on the team yet, maybe maybe they got too tired and couldn't, you know, pull out for the entire remainder of the, se- uh, of the season. Where does this one compare to UMBC taking down Virginia last year? I will say this. Last year when that happened, and ESPN posted a... Uh, thing on Instagram basically saying how many brackets it busted, what percentage of brackets it busted. And it was something like 86. 
percent of brackets were busted with this. Mm -hmm. And I thought, geez, I feel like I should have been higher than that. <laughs> I think this broke more brackets. You think so? Absolutely. It could have. 100%. I think this broke a higher percentage of brackets than UMBC. Well, because I did a segment about it a few weeks ago, the NHL Bracket Challenge, and 40-something percent had the Lightning winning. Nobody else had more than 7%. Well, we're doing another bracket challenge at ABC10 with the NHL playoffs, <laughs> and only two of us had the Lightning winning it. But every single one of us, except for Jordan Golkis, had the Lightning making the uh, cup finals. Does Jordan know about hockey? Or was that no, just she guess? doesn't at all. She filled okay. it out randomly and chose Columbus to win in four. How does that work? I don't know, man. Sometimes that's better than knowing about hockey. I, exactly. She is currently leading our entire bracket. <laughs> I tell you what, for Columbus, they are on to the second round for the second time ever. Uh, the New York Islanders, they have swept the Stanley Cup Series for the first time since 1983 as they skate past Pittsburgh last night. So we have our first two teams eliminated. Penguins, I tell you what, it was frustrating. They got out to a lead in three of the four games. They had the first lead. And they couldn't hold it. Penguins have already come out with a statement that two players are not available this offseason. That Crosby and Malkin are going to stick with the team despite rumors that maybe Malkin could team up with Coach Q in Florida next year. I would have hated to see that as a Penguins fan. As a hockey fan, I'd kind of be intrigued by that. But I'm glad that uh, Malkin's going to stay. Gensel's probably going to stay. And Murray is probably going to stay. They Already extended Gensel a couple of years ago. Murray, they're working on extension. Jim Rutherford, GM, says that's priority number one. Phil Kessel could be trade bait, though. And if you watch that series, they need defense. I mean, I said, Matt Murray, is he a little overrated? I said that on the show last week. Take back everything I said about Matt Murray, because his defense left him out to dry this series. It was really, really poorly done by the Penguins' blue liners. Yeah, well, uh, I've been seeing the reverse problem with the Sharks. So <laughs> I think the Sharks' defense is great, but Martin Jones is, uh, what's the word, uh, garbage? Yeah, he's he's struggling a little bit, isn't he? Yeah, yeah um, not a big fan of that. But, like you said, with the Penguins, and, I mean, it's sort of my thought with them, too, is I think that they're going to take a couple steps back throughout through the next three, four years. As long as they have Sidney Crosby, I think they'll make the playoffs every single year because mm -hmm. he's going to make them good enough on his own. Like and he doesn't have terrible coaching like Connor McDavid <laughs> to to keep him out of the playoffs. But I don't think that they're going to be a cup contender until they add one more legitimate playmaker on defense. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to because yeah. even Latang and Norris candidate he had a terrible game last night. He didn't have a great series overall. Last night was really bad, especially on Josh Eberle's goal, the first for the Islanders. Uh, the Penguins have a blueprint though for how to put together an effective blue line. Mm -hmm. uh, you think back to Trevor Daly when he was there, and he was a big part of their two cup runs. I'm not saying they should have kept Trevor Daly, looking at how he's uh, digressed, should we say. You know, it was the right move not to re-sign him. But that's the blueprint. You need a guy who brings to the table what Trevor Daly can do. Instead, when they let him go, they tried to replace him with Matt Hunwick. And you just can't do it. Uh Ian Cole, a guy who's playing for Colorado right now, helping them in their playoff run. I mean, he wasn't outstanding, but he was consistent. Ole Matta's taken a giant step back since they were cup contenders. Mm -hmm. They need to bolster that blue line because, I mean, the offense wasn't great in this series. Uh, Mike Sullivan was trying everything, pushing every button. He started with 
Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel on three different lines, splitting them up because I get that. You want to get three lines going. Games three and four, he tried putting uh, Malkin and Kessel on the same line. You know, he just hit every button and nothing worked. Uh, blue line just did not give Murray any protection. That's got to be Pittsburgh's focus on this offseason. Yeah, and I think Pittsburgh needs to spread out their blue line talent a little more efficiently throughout the three lines. Mm-hmm. Like, I, w- I will say, a lot of people think the Sharks have the best defense in the league, like in terms of personnel. And one thing they do really well, from what I've noticed, is they always spread it out. Like, of course, not on the power play. On the power play, you have Burns and Carlson mm-hmm. always. But Burns and Carlson are almost never on the same line. Uh, on defense, it's usually like Burns and Justin Braun or something, and then Eric Carlson and sometimes Vlasic, but usually Vlasic is kept off the same line as those two as well. Mm-hmm. So th- that's one thing I really like, and I don't see that really with the Penguins. The Penguins always put their two best on line one. They have a line of five that's always incredible, and that's, I don't know, I feel like that's sort of an old style mm-hmm. in the NHL. And I think moving toward a more consistent game throughout your uh, three defensive lines is more effective. Tell you what, the other game from last night, you know, we touched on the Sharks and the Golden Knights a little bit. Vegas winning 5 nothing, They go up 3-1 in the series. Yeah. Winnipeg and St. Louis, the Jets win in overtime to even up that series. That series has turned out to be everything we thought it would be. Yeah, I had this going seven games before the series started. St. Louis is the hottest team in all of hockey. Uh, they had the best record in the NHL since the All-Star break, I believe. And uh, a lot of people have them making the cup finals, actually. Mm. Because I will, the, the, the Western Conference is so close. Mm-hmm. Every team actually has a chance, I feel like. Except, uh, you know, everybody thought the Eastern Conference was Tampa Bay's right. to lose. So St. Louis is great. I love St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Amazing offense. And, and Bennington's come out of nowhere in net. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But Winnipeg is one of those teams where they just do well. They just do their job. Mm-hmm. I love Line A. Yep. Line is one of my favorite players in the league to watch. Mm-hmm. I'm partial to Dustin Bufflin. I think yeah. he's probably my favorite non-penguin in the NHL. I, I don't like him because... You don't uh, like Bufflin? Well, he was on the, back when he was on the Blackhawks, okay. he did terrible things to the Sharks. <laughs> uh yeah, so, uh, I mean, he's great for what he is. No, he's just, he's straight up just great, but yeah. I, I've had a bad history with him. Well, he's a big bruiser. He's yeah. 6'5", 250. He knows how to use his he, size. He's like, he's like this game. He's like today's version of Chris Pronger. Mm-hmm. I loved Chris Pronger. I did, too. Yeah, uh, just a bruiser, but like actually had a lot of skill in the game as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically what Dustin Bufflin is. I'm not saying Dustin Bufflin is as good as Pronger. I just think that that bruiser sort of era has disappeared, and he's mm-hmm. the closest thing we have to him. I just think that St. Louis should win the series, but Winnipeg probably has the best chance to take down St. Louis of any team in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Is it a good thing for hockey that Tampa Bay got knocked out? Because now no. it's really anybody's. It's not a good thing. No. You, you take a look at what's, what's happened in professional sports. Like, everybody says, oh, I hate the Warriors. Oh, I hate the Patriots. Oh, I hate the, uh, the Red Sox last year. Mm-hmm. That was great for the sports. Like, MLB ratings were up last year, like, compared to uh, seasons prior because of the Red Sox. And dynasties have proven time and time again, or spectacular seasons have proven time and time again to just be great for seasons. Like, you say you hate the Patriots, but you watch them because you want to see them lose. You say you hate the Warriors, but you watch them because you want to see them lose. And you, mm-hmm. hate to, you hate to see them win, right? And people want... So, the Tampa Bay Lightning losing this series gets rid of that whole thing of we might be witnessing the greatest ever. Mm-hmm. It gets rid of that aura around the playoffs now. 
and it sort of creates this thing, well, oh, I guess that was a waste of time following them and whatnot because uh, we weren't even close. This might be a hot take, and we're going to have to wait about a year to find out. I think this could have been the best thing to happen to the Lightning. I'm a firm believer that the pain of losing is more effective than the joy of winning and that this is going to be a motivator for the Lightning going forward and it's going to turn into something like what we saw with Virginia basketball this year. I don't know that they're going to win the Cup next year, maybe even a better shot than they did this year because they're going to bring back a good enough team to win the Cup again, but they've got that extra fire burn inside them. This could have been arguably one of the best things to happen for Tampa. Well, we'll see. Like you said, we'll see. But I, I personally, I don't see. Like the thing with Virginia was they got DeAndre Hunter back. He was out for the for the tournament last year, but now coming back, he was probably their second best player last year. Now he was there. Uh, Virginia had a much easier schedule this time around, or they had a much easier path to the finals than last year. Like, yeah, they lost in the first round, but if they made it to the second round, it was going to be much tougher than Oklahoma. So. But then you, you look at the NHL, and I wish I could say that losing breeds winning, but I'm a Sharks fan. Uh, We've been losing for years, and it hasn't bred anything. <laughs> Made a cup final back in 16. Yeah, back in 16, and we got absolutely <laughs> destroyed by your pens. <laughs> Those were the good old days for both of our teams. Yeah. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling in the studio with you. We owe you a timeout. When we come back, we got the NBA playoffs to break down. Next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Glad that you're with us. Tell you what, looking at the NBA playoffs, three games last night, all game twos, and all of them, Won by the home team. Toronto took down Orlando 111-82. to Denver by San Antonio 114-105. to And Portland turns down OKC 114-94. to Good response for the Raptors. They said they shouldn't be too worried. They were going to be fine. They'll figure things out against Orlando. And they'd blow them out last night. Denver with a good response after not looking like they knew how to finish in Game 1. They beat the Spurs by 9. I had uh, Charles Belt, one of the assistant basketball coaches here at Northern, on the show yesterday. I asked him if OKC wanted to win this series. Was last night a must-win? He thought so. They lost, so they're <laughs> down 2 nothing. Yeah, I think what is Portland's biggest like monkey on their back right now? It's that they can't make it past the second round. This yeah. is the year. This is the year where so. they want to do it. And I like the Trailblazers. Damian Lillard is one of the most consistently underrated superstars in the league. Mm-hmm. I love CJ. I even like Plumley. Yeah, Plumlee. yeah, Plumlee's a cool Why not? Guy. He's still in the league. Yeah, yeah. I think people would be surprised to know that, but yeah, yeah. Plumlee's still around. Yeah, he's a good defender, sorta, <laughs> sorta. Yeah, he's a big body. I just want to see them. I just want to see them do something because uh, they haven't really had any sort of notoriety. Nobody really knows who they are, or n- people know who they are, but nobody really knows what they bring to the table. They know mm-hmm. they have Damian Lillard, and that's about it. And Damian, everybody thinks, oh, Damian Lillard sort of carries that team. That's not really the case. They're very deep, and they, they work well as a group. That's hence why they have the three seed. Only one title, 1977. Yep. Not really any superstars ever. Maybe Clyde Drexler, but how many people know that name? Yeah, Bill Walton, yeah. except he left on pretty bad terms yep. with them. It's just a very forgettable franchise. But that being said, everybody likes them when they see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You like rooting for the underdog. Yeah. But the thing is, they're not the underdog anymore, and mm-hmm. I enjoy that. 
after getting swept by the Pelicans last year, you know, I want to see them go far. We've got three games on tap tonight. The Rockets welcome the Jazz. The Pacers visit the Celtics. And, of course, game two with the Bucks and Pistons. Uh, oh, boy. Is Detroit going to win a game in this series? No. They looked really bad on Sunday night. No, the Bucks are playing. The Bucks are playing way, way, way too well. They are by far the best team in the East. They might win the East in twelve games. They really, really look like they could contend with the Warriors too. I mean, if we saw anything, there was so much hype around that game on Sunday. It was the first playoff game in that arena's history, mm-hmm. and they've been waiting for a team like this for a long time. And they brought that kind of energy to the floor. You know, I might say something that might get me a lot of hate coming up, but I don't think the Eastern Conference can really match up with the West, any team. I, I think when it comes to the finals, whoever the Bucks end up playing, whether it's, I think right now the Rockets and Warriors have the two best chances to win the West. I think that's a, maybe a six-game series mm. at best. Like, everybody thought, oh, LeBron's coming to the, LeBron's coming to the West. Oh, he's going to be a two-seed or a three-seed. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll beat the Warriors, but he'll contend with the Rockets misses the playoffs. And he had a better team in Los Angeles than he did with the Cleveland Cavaliers his last year there. Mm-hmm. So that, that's just my thought. The Western Conference will continually stand above the East, at least for right now. If you look at the way that the East has shook out this year, for me it's really interesting to think, what if LeBron had stayed in Cleveland? Where would this Cavalier team be right now? What seed could they realistically have gotten? Like, would they have finished higher than... Boston than Philadelphia? Yeah. Think so? I think so. Philadelphia, yeah. Hmm. 1,000%. LeBron dominates the Philadelphia 76ers. As, I mean, Kevin Love matches up with Joel Embiid. Like, if you take a look at their games in the past, Joel Embiid never really does well against Kevin Love. And then it's just LeBron versus Ben Simmons and, the, I mean, I guess Jimmy Butler. Yeah. But Jimmy Butler can't guard LeBron. Ben Simmons can't make shots. So uh, I would take that. I would take that nine times out of ten. Um, if the, if LeBron was still in the East, I'd have them finishing as a three or a four seed again. Are you with me that Philadelphia is probably out in the second round, and they could be out in five games if they play Toronto in the second round? Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. I think they match up well with Toronto. I think that I think that's a six or seven game series. Yeah. I would I would have Toronto I would have Toronto winning, but I I wouldn't say Philadelphia is a pushover against Toronto. I think. I think this is the Bucks or Raptors, uh, I mean, pretty much just the Bucks, but it's the Bucks or Raptors conference, right? But the seventy that sh- that that shouldn't like downplay how good the Seventy Sixers, Celtics, and Pacers have been this year. If the Celtics and Bucks do meet in the second round, how many games does that go? I have no idea. You can say it. Boston is one of those teams that's so hard to predict. Like who right. would have th- thought they would have taken LeBron? to seven games last year without Kyrie and without Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. Nobody. So I'm never going to underestimate Brad Stevens and Scary Terry again. I've learned my lesson from that. So I would want to say five. I would want to say five, but it'll probably end up going seven. You think about losing Marcus Smart, and you know, he doesn't get a lot of the credit that he deserves, mm-hmm. how valuable he is to Boston, but that's a huge loss. Same with Malcolm Brogdon over in Milwaukee. There really isn't anybody more efficient in the NBA than Malcolm Brogdon, and I think that gets overlooked a lot. So you have two role guys that are both pretty vital to their team that if they do meet up in the second round, probably aren't going to be available. Who means more to their team, do you think? Is it Smart with Boston? Smart, absolutely. Smart's, so? the only, Smart's the only effective defensive present on Boston. Not Kyrie? 
Kyrie's a steel guy, you know. So you have guys like Russell Westbrook. What about Horford? Uh, Horford's good. Horford's good, Hor- Hor- Horford's good at the rim, but you need a perimeter guy because it's a three-point league. Right. And Marcus Smart is that guy. It's like the same thing with the, the Warriors or the Rockets. Like, James Harden gets a lot of steals. That doesn't mean he's a good defender. Mm-hmm. You know, Steph Curry gets a lot of steals. And I think he's an all-right defender, but he's not that great. But you, the guys who go overlooked, the Clay Thompsons, the Marcus Smarts, the people like that. The, Patrick uh, Beverly. The, yeah, Patrick Beverly, exactly. The people like that are the core of their team. I mean, you take a look at how good the Celtics are than without. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with the Warriors and back when they had Andrew Bogut. But they had the worst record of, of when they missed the, any of their starters. It was Bogut who was the, meant the most in terms of record. How big does that signing look now? It looks good. looks really I, I, good now. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this too. With Boogie, there are way too many scoring threats uh, on the Warriors. Uh, way too, like, you need to share the ball too much, I feel like. Bogut fits the Warriors system a lot better, and I think they're going to be better off for it. One of the best high ball screeners in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He's still got it. Mm-hmm. He's still got it. He's, and you know what? Say what you will about his offense. When he is in the paint, he is still a force. He, he he can shoot from he can shoot from close, not a mid range guy, but if it's relatively close, you know he'll get it. He's about sixty percent, sixty percent close range shooter guy. So, you know, I love Bogut. I love Bogut. It's a lot to like about him. Yeah, you're a Warriors guy. Did you stay up for the end of the game the other night? No, I couldn't. Yeah. I, I, I finish work at midnight every night, so <laughs> I'm out as soon as I get back. Uh, you know what, what was your reaction when you woke up? You know what's crazy? I'm not even worried about it. No? No. Like, that's the one, that's the privilege of being a Warriors fan right now, <laughs> is you can have horrible things happen. I'm just like, eh, oh, well, we'll still win the title. Like, I am not worried about it. Warriors privilege. Yeah. I've never heard that term before, but I like that. <laughs> Warrior privilege. Uh, yeah, you've been treated to some good basketball over the years, so not hitting the panic button, looking ahead maybe to Houston in the second round. Uh, I will hit the panic button if that happens with Houston. But. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you worried about Durant? <laughs> I've had a lot of uh, theories about, there are a lot of things about Durant. I don't think he's necessary for the Warriors. Really? Remember how good Steph Curry was before Kevin Durant got to the a Warriors? A lot better than he is He now, was yeah. on pace to be like a top 10 NBA player all time. Mm-hmm. And we were cheated out of seeing that happen with Kevin Durant coming. 73-9 without Durant. Two ti- uh, one title, two MVPs, we'll be just fine. As long as we keep Klay Thompson. As I said, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andrew Bogut, Steph Curry are the core of that team. Like, Kevin Durant is great to have, but when Steph Curry becomes the lead scoring option, it'll be just fine. And I've taken a look at every game since... I've done this twice. I've taken a look at every game since Kevin Durant came to the Warriors. The Warriors have over an an 850 win percentage since 2017 with Curry and without Durant. You do the same thing but swap them with KD and without Curry... The Warriors' win percentage drops down to 620. Mm. They're over 200 points better without KD and with Curry. So you're okay when KD walks this offseason? Absolutely. All right. If he goes to the Eastern Conference, even better. (laughs) But, yeah, the Warriors will be just fine without KD. In fact, I think they will, I think, hot take, they're going to be even better next year without KD. 
Tell you what, I was having fun earlier and I was thinking about the NBA playoff process. It seems like we've got maybe too many average, mediocre teams playing in the postseason. I don't know if it's a problem or not, but I wondered if you changed the format a little bit. You know, you've got more teams that make the NBA playoffs than teams who don't. And I wondered if you whittled it down a little bit. This was the crazy idea I, I'm not even advocating for. I just speculated. I thought it was cool. Uh, if you cut it down to four, I feel like that's too few that get in. You know, you're leaving out a few good teams. <laughs> you want to make it like the NFL? Six teams I, I kind of would guys. like to see what a six-team format would look like. Six teams from each conference. The first two rounds, excuse me, the first round for each, top two get buys. Three through six seeds all play just one game to move on. And then Ooh. it becomes a series after that. You know what? That's good TV. Think what that would be like. Yeah. yeah. Like, March Madness is huge. Mm-hmm. The NFL playoffs are huge. Mm-hmm. Because you feel like... It, because every game is a do-or-die situation. Mm-hmm. You put the NBA in the same scenario, you would get huge ratings. But then it's the same thing where one game versus seven games... That's not as much ad revenue. Right. And, and I mean, you would still get the opportunity for the best team to win the title because that's what people want to see. And even if you get an upset in the first round, like if we did go by that format, Philly would be out by now. Their season would be done. Brooklyn mm-hmm. would be moving on. They're not going to beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series. I mean, we'll still get the best team to win. Uh, but if you did, if we did go by that, I'm just looking at the standings just for fun here. Milwaukee and Toronto would get buys in the East. Philadelphia and Brooklyn would play in the first round. We know that Brooklyn would have already moved on. And then uh, Boston would host Indiana. Boston would have moved on. Uh, Golden State-Denver would get the buys in the Western Conference. Portland and OKC. Portland would have moved on. And then Houston blew out Utah. So from there, it becomes a seven-game series. Yeah. I don't know if I want that, but it's. I think it's, it'd be kind of fun. It's one of the age-old questions, right? Mm-hmm. Where you you cut down games to make it feel more important. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with the regular season. A lot of people are saying they need to shorten the NBA, NHL, and MLB regular seasons because it feels like the games don't matter. Mm-hmm. So we would take that idea and put it in the playoffs, make every game feel like it matters. It makes sense. But the NBA is a business. I love this. I love the idea. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of having one-game playoffs, and as long as we still have the best teams, right? Mm-hmm. But they need them. They they want the money it, from, right. from full seven-game series every single round. I don't think it'll ever happen, but I don't know. I was bored. I was having I was a little bored. fun with it, and uh, wanted to speculate. No, the, that would be. I mean, it, yeah, it'd be awesome. It would be. No, it wouldn't be bigger than March Madness, but... <laughs> It'd be up there. Yeah. April Madness. Yeah. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Glad that you're with us. We owe you a timeout when we come back. The most terrifying mascots by state. We break it down next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Here is your Sports Center update. The Los Angeles Kings have hired Todd McClellan as their new head coach. McClellan was fired by the Oilers on November 20th. This fall, for the first time ever, the Notre Dame Leprechaun mascot will be portrayed by a woman. 
The university announced yesterday that Lynette Wookie will become the first woman to wear the leprechaun costume on game day. They'll still have the traditional look. And they, they have three leprechauns at Notre Dame. Do you know that? They have oh. three leprechauns. They assign them to different sports. Uh, one of the I've actually met one of the leprechauns. He's literally from Northern Ireland, so he'll fit the he'll fit the bill pretty well. Dang. Uh, and finally, an Ohio man has been arrested after throwing an iguana at a restaurant employee. The 49-year-old was walking into a Perkins yesterday morning and began acting strangely. Cops were called, and the man pulled an iguana out from under his shirt, swung it around by the tail, and threw it at one of the restaurant employees before fleeing the scene. He was arrested shortly afterwards. Where do you get an iguana? Like, if, could I go to a pet store and order an iguana? There have been a lot of things with iguanas lately. Florida's being overrun with iguanas. Uh, you would think this, this would be guy. a story that happened in Florida, not Ohio. Yeah. I don't know where you get, a, where you get an iguana in Ohio. Like, is it something I need to get from Craigslist? How, how do you hide one under your shirt? <laughs> and then he swings it around by the tail over his head like a nunchuck and then throws it over Perkins. And here's, here's another thing. Don't iguanas' tails fall off? How do you swing it by the tail? I don't know. I have no idea if their tails fall Is that a thing? Yeah. It's like their tails fall off and then they grow them back. That's like a lizard thing. Oh. I, had, I genuinely did not know that. I, th- I think so. I Could think, be. Like, I, I know what happens with smaller lizards. Maybe not well, you know, once they reach a certain size. Like Komodo dragons, I don't know if their tail falls off. Can you find an iguana in Ohio? Like, are they out I, naturally I out there? Like, it, like, I mean, if we went to a PetSmart right now. Yeah, could you get an iguana, or do I need to, like, meet a dangerous friend at the edge of town, <laughs> on the internet, and try to get him to import one? Is it legal to own an iguana? I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh. So many things are illegal <laughs> nowadays. Uh, Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Yesterday, a survey by SportsBiz described the most terrifying sports mascot by state. Any initial thoughts from looking at this list? Yeah, I didn't know too many mascots like in certain states like Rhode Island and whatnot. Rhode Island's mascot is the most terrifying. When I looked <laughs> at him, his smile, no teeth, it was like bigger on the sides or something. Oh, the Friar? Yeah. Yeah, the Providence Friar, yeah. yeah. His smile is not pleasant. No, no, he's terrifying. They got that one right. They got Gritty for Philadelphia. He's uh, like a lovable kind of terrifying. He is huh? a lovable terrifying, but I don't know who they would... Put in his yeah. place. I mean, one thing. One thing I didn't enjoy was uh, Milwaukee Brewers. I don't know the name. Yeah, of Bernie their Brewer. Yeah, he got Wisconsin. How? I know. How's Bernie? Uh, he's just. He's not scary to me. Yeah, he's just a blonde dude. Uh, what about uh, Minnesota? You've got the Concordia Moorhead Cobbers. You've got a giant corn cob with a face. I can. <laughs> I can see where that the terror comes from. Uh, Nebraska Herbie Husker. I mean, he's kind of. Yeah. Anamorphically yeah. incorrect, so yeah, I could see it. I don't know what the Spurs mascot is, if that's like a jackrabbit. Oh, but, yeah. But he made it. That, that's a strange one, too. Remember when his eye fell out? There was like that yeah. time when his eye fell out. <laughs> uh, what is that with the Utah Jazz? Is that Sasquatch? I'm not sure. I don't, I know, have, the, I don't know the Utah Jazz mascot. I don't know I what that is. I was mortified by Rhode Island. <laughs> the Providence Friars. Yeah, his smile is... Awful. Uh, the Denver Bronco for Colorado. I, mean, I don't get that one. I don't either. know. I'd, I probably would have went with the Colorado Buffalo. Yeah. I, that's I, I, that's but, one I Or even I the Colorado Rockies, that dinosaur. Right? Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Uh, the Stanford Tree from California. He's always been terrified. Yeah. I mean, it's, giant it's, smiling it's, tree. It's, nobody ever knows why. <laughs> I mean, I've been to a handful of Stanford games, and it, it's always the topic of discussion. Uh, Idaho has a giant potato. I mean, that's... 
Sounds about right. Culturally relevant. Michigan, of course, uh, got Buster Bronco from Western Michigan University. Uh, just to our south, Purdue Pete. Eh, yeah, I'm glad it wasn't the Leprechaun. There are some that are like way that fit the bill way more than others. What is that representing Mississippi? I can't even identify what that thing is. I'm not sure. I and then uh, Louisiana's got some giant like the New Year's baby. I don't have the foggiest Ooh, what that could oh, be. Oh, 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 is that the, the the minor league team, the baby kicks? That makes sense. Okay, well, that is that is utterly nightmarish. <laughs> um, how, how are they going to do Herky Hawkeye like this? He's on there for Iowa. I guess there's not many terrifying mascots, but come on, Herky's not terrifying. What's the Cyclones mascot? Uh, Cy, he's a giant bird. He's red. Okay. So they right. probably could have gone was, either way with like, that. I was thinking, like, how could you, how could you, like, make a, make a mascot for a cyclone mm-hmm. and not have it be terrifying? But <laughs> if they just stick with, stuck with a bird, I mean, I guess that's pretty, pretty easy. They have the St. Louis Billiken from Missouri. I don't, I still don't know what a Billiken is, but he looks not like, looks like some kind of white demon, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Arizona State Sun Devil. Oh, yeah. Um, that was one of the things that I, I mean, I like the Sun Devil. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good mascot. <laughs> I think the Phoenix, the Arizona Coyotes, I should say, deserved a little bit more. <laughs> Hawaii, they put the Hawaii Pacific Shark. The Las Vegas uh, 51s mascot, they've got the alien out there in Nevada. Yeah. I like him. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think they I got think, that one right. I think they right. blurred the line between terrifying and likable. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of these are likable guys, like the, the giant red thing from western Kentucky, representing Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I like him. You know, he's not, yeah. he's not scary to me. I don't know what the Heat have for a mascot or what the Atlanta Braves do, but they're on there for their respective states. Whatever the Washington Wizards use, they use that one for D.C. <laughs> I couldn't identify that. It's just Michael Jordan with the baseball bat. <laughs> uh, North Dakota. I don't know what school or team that is. It's just a giant, weird hockey look. It looks like the Providence Friar, but he's wearing a hockey helmet. Yeah, and his smile is, you know, nice. Toothless. It doesn't matter if he's toothless, as long as you know it's symmetrical and whatnot. Doesn't scare children. They with Kansas, I don't agree with them on this one. They put the Wildcat over the Jayhawk. I'd probably put the Jayhawk. I mean, if you run into a Jayhawk in the wild, you ain't too worried about that. No, no, but the way he looks, like a giant bird. Is there like, a di- is there a difference between like fierce and terrifying? Probably. But then, like, here's the thing. I would think that the Denver Bronco looks very fierce, but they have him as terrifying. Right. Yeah, I don't totally agree with everything on the list, but for the most part, they got it pretty well right. Uh, Oklahoma State, the cowboy, you know, he's like, it's like his body is human, but his head is obviously fake. Like, I don't know what they were going for with that. Oh, he's a mascot and he's got too big of a head? Mm-hmm. Come on, Tanner. Uh, the, uh... Washington State, uh, like the state of Washington, used the University of Washington Husky. Yeah, what? he's adorable. No, yeah. He's not terrifying. That was, I remember that. I remember thinking, I, I got visibly upset over that. Yeah. I mean, you're going to tell me that that little dude is terrifying. It's like, it's a live Husky. He's a straight, he's a 10 out of 10 good doggo. Oh, come on. Uh, that's not right. I don't know what that is over in Oregon, but it looks like a giant fish. Not sure. That's just more creepy than it is terrifying. I always thought the Oregon duck was kind of terrifying. He's a little bit scary, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas, I couldn't begin to know what school that is or what that creature 
could possibly be. And then, uh, oh, North Carolina, they went with the Demon Deacon from Wake Forest, which yeah, makes yeah, sense. Probably got to give them that one. That's a look around some of the most terrifying mascots in our country, college, pro sports, what have you, per Sports Biz. They came out with that list yesterday. I tell you what, we wasted almost a full segment <laughs> on that nonsense. Uh, Demarius Thomas heading to New England. I kind of like that signing, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know. It reminds me of when they signed Brandon Cooks. Yeah, okay. But Brandon Cooks actually had good seasons before that. Mm-hmm. Demarius Thomas hasn't had a good season since <laughs> Peyton Manning. And he's coming off injury, too. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that gives you a I little think bit he'll of be hesitation. The, I think he'll be the third option in that offense. Which means with New England, he is going to turn into a superstar, probably make the Pro Bowl this <laughs> no, year. No, I mean, like, Chris Hogan was the third option in that offense a year ago. He wasn't a superstar. I just don't think it needs to be as hyped up as people say. They're like, oh, Thomas with Brady, it's going to be outstanding. <laughs> Everybody with Brady turns out outstanding. I mean, to a point. Um, we're a little over a week away from the NFL draft. Cardinals say they have not decided on who they're taking number one overall. Is that BS or not? Yeah, it's BS. It is BS. I mean, <laughs> we all know what they're going to do. You know, you know what they say. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. And there is so much smoke about around mm-hmm. Kyler Murray. Got to take him. That's the thing. There hasn't... Well, I've heard a couple, I've heard a couple big rumors. Mm-hmm. Have you heard the one about the three-team trade between Seattle, New York, and... Arizona? No. Three, uh, I have on good authority that there could be a trade where it's Arizona sends the first overall pick to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Seattle sends Russell Wilson, newly extended, which makes him more valuable, to the New York Giants. And the New York Giants send their first, two, the, their first round picks, they have two this year, and their second round pick to Arizona. I can't wait to see the Russell Wilson OBJ hookup. Oh, wait! Oh, wait a minute, Dave Gettleman. I can't wait to see Russell Wilson and Evan Ingram. Mmm, that could be fun. Yeah, because I think Evan Ingram is better than what Jimmy Graham was in Seattle. He uh, would get matched up with Golden Tate again. They won a Super Bowl together. Yeah, he would. Yeah, that could be kind of fun. I would. I don't think it's going to happen. Nothing against your sources, but I'd, I'd be okay if it did. It's, I mean, it's, it's just one small little thing. He says it, he says it's just one of the things he's heard from his, from his friends, or from the people he knows. But, um, I think it's way more likely it doesn't happen, and they'd still take Kyler Murray. There's no way, because n- no other name has been thrown out. You can't pass up this kid. I actually, I actually, I 100% think you could pass up on this kid. I like Josh Rosen still. I think he's very mechanically sound, and if he gets a good offensive coach like Cliff Kingsbury and gets a, a receiver, he has already has a solid run game. Actually, I don't even think he needs a receiver. He needs a tight end. Tight ends help out new QBs so much. TJ Hawkinson from Iowa? I, okay. I just did a whole thing on TJ Hawkinson. Uh, Mike, Michael's Monday Minute. Check it out if you want. Yeah. But, um, the Packers need to grab T.J. Hawkinson. That's what I was trying to get to. Yes. Yeah. Think about T.J. Hawkinson and Jimmy Graham in a double tight end set. That's not even what I'm focusing on. Mm-hmm. Like, so, Aaron Rodgers just doesn't use his tight ends, mm-hmm. no matter what. Everybody thought, oh, Jared Cook and uh, Aaron Rodgers, that's going to be insane. Didn't amount to anything. No. Then Martellus Bennett comes along. Oh, Mar- Martellus Bennett and Aaron Rodgers, that's going to be crazy. Nothing happens. Then Jimmy Graham comes along. Oh, well, they weren't on the same level as Jimmy Graham. Two touchdowns. He doesn't use his tight ends. And that's not his fault. It's just not how he operates. But 
so the the biggest thing shouldn't be getting a tight end who can receive. If you put Gronk with Rodgers, I'm sorry, but Gronk would not be that great, in my opinion. Mm. But if you get a great blocking tight end like TJ Hawkinson, who is consistently touted for his blocking prowess, 6'5", 250, thicker than a bowl of oatmeal, he is so he's going to be so good. Then you send Jimmy Graham on those routes. You have a double tight end set, but you basically just use Hawkinson as a sixth offensive lineman. That would work way, way better than just trying to run TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, but he can catch. He can. His, that's the thing. He is a dual threat, which is the same, which can't be said about Jimmy Graham. And I, he might be a worse receiver than Jimmy Graham. I don't think so. I think he's a better receiver than Jimmy Graham now. Jimmy Graham in his prime, I think, was way better than Hawkinson. Mm-hmm. But he is so good at blocking, and keeping Rodgers healthy should be the top priority. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Glad that you're with us. We have got a rugby interview coming up. We'll let you go a little early, Michael, but uh, give uh-huh. you a chance to plug something. You've got something special coming out tomorrow on ABC. Yeah, Prime. tomorrow we got our first Thursday throwdown with an NMU skier. Hopefully it's going to be a weekly thing where you know we take athletes from the area and have them compete against me because I am the greatest athlete of them, of them all. Mm, I've been true. training since I was born mm. to be the greatest athlete ever seen, and now we get to see it in action. I heard a story once, I, I can't remember, that, like Todd Marinovich, he was bred to be the greatest quarterback of all time, and based on how that turned out, that leads <laughs> me to believe you're probably going to lose. Uh, you know, I might lose one or two <laughs> things. Um, you know, it's skiing, so I might fall down one, two, eight times, but I'm going to give it my all, and you know, it's more than skiing, it's going to be like a little relay race, well not relay race, but like a little station race where you know you ski, but then you I got to do other stuff, you got to find Waldo, you got to eat a piece of pizza, like, it's, it's, it's going to be good, and you know, I think it ended up closer than people would give me credit for. We owe you a timeout, when we come back, I'll have a couple members of the Northern Michigan rugby team with me, that's how I'll finish out this episode of the Sports Pad on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you, joined by a couple members of the Northern Michigan rugby team. Head coach Jordan Buss along with Adam Ortman. Good to meet you both and talk a little rugby. Thanks for having us. We'll start with you, Coach. Uh, what do you have coming up here? You're not technically in season, but you've got some tournaments, some activities. You're uh, you're keeping busy in the spring. Yeah, well, the, <clears throat> excuse me. The boys are trying to stay fit and stay in shape, keep their skill levels up. Because um, our, our big season's really in the fall, but we've got some tournaments that the boys are um, applying to to go playing. They actually had a good one two weeks ago. They went to Detroit. And uh, they ended up winning the tournament, so we're very proud of that first tournament win. Um, so that was a nice one to add to our resume. And um, the boys are actually going to another tournament this weekend. It's more of a different uh, side of rugby because there's a sevens rugby tournament and then full 15s, which is what we normally play. So the boys are going to a big sevens tournament this weekend, and uh, it'll be great to pull one off there as well. Do you find a lot of teams in this area that play rugby? Do you have to go far to find tournaments like this? Yes. Um, unfortunately, we pretty much the only ones in the area besides Michigan Tech, but they're in a different division to us. So uh, we have to do a lot of traveling in order to get uh, some good game time in. 
Adam, tell me about how you got involved in rugby and uh, why the Northern Michigan program was right for you. Well, I was just walking through campus one day, and uh, I just seen a bunch of guys hanging out by a table. They had some cool gear on, and uh, pretty much rest road itself. I joined. All you pretty much got to do is show up to practice, put your time in, put your effort in, and uh, just show the upper classmen that you actually want to be there and be part of this great thing we got going on. Did you have any prior experience with rugby? No, sir. Uh, I actually wrestled for my first year in college down in Grand Rapids and uh, came up here and didn't have much to do, so I thought I'd try rugby. Seen it in the Olympics a couple years back and thought that was really cool that those big guys got to carry the ball and uh, run some smaller guys over. Tell me about some of the differences you see in American football and rugby. Tell me about some ways that they're similar, maybe highlight the differences. Uh, some differences are the game just doesn't stop. It's uh, 42 40 minute halves. You're just going a 100%, 100% of the time. Um, some similarities, I mean, just the physicality of the game. And there, there are kind of like your, your lineman type guys and your back type guys. But in rugby, everybody gets to touch a ball. Doesn't matter your size, your athletic ability. You, if you want the ball, you can you can get it. So how about equipment? Equipment, you don't wear nothing but shorts and your jerseys, your cleats, and a mouthpiece. Hmm. That's all you got. Some guys choose to wear a scrum cap to protect their noggin a little more, but that's optional. Coach, tell me about some ways you're seeing the sport grow here in America. Are you seeing some good reception to rugby? Absolutely. Um, there's some. Uh, there's, there's a league that's on right now. It started a couple of years ago. Years ago, uh, Major League Rugby. Um, they've got some really big names. It's a lot more downstate right now, but they actually entered another two or three teams for this season. Um, so it's growing. They're really, they, American teams are buying players from overseas, South Africans, New Zealanders, Australians, European players. Um, really big names are playing for Major League Rugby here in the U.S., and it's great to see. It's, on, it's being televised, so you know, it's, being, it's getting a lot more exposure, which is great for us. You're starting to grow the rugby program in Northern. Tell me about some ways that you've seen it grow during your time as head coach and what are some of your goals for the future? Well, seeing it grow, you know, it, it really came down to the players wanting it. Um, it's all great me coming there with the drills and expectations, but if they don't want it, it it's going to be a long season for you as a player and as an individual because... You know, just like in any team sport, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And the beauty of our rugby club is I'm quite happy to put in a guy on the, from the bench. He's going to be just as good as the guy that started the game because their fitness levels are all going to be the same, their skill levels. And, uh, you know, the guys are just really special team players. They, if a guy drops a ball during practice, they're always there to help him and direct him. And it's, it's a real big team effort. We don't have a lot of help outside help besides myself some we have some alumni players that come and help once in a while at practice which is great but um, it's hard for me to keep track of everything and keep everyone under control so that if I separate the backs from the forwards you know it's hard for me to you know see what they're doing wrong what they're doing right and try and just give them that extra bit of direction so it's hard for me to manage my time at practice but I'm doing the best I can and the results are showing so I'm, I'm very proud of what we've achieved as a club and um, Looking towards the future, the biggest goal for us is to win a national championship. And we're proving every season we are getting better and we're playing the best teams in our division. We've ended in the top two in the last three years in our division and gone to nationals. So we're very proud of our accomplishments and 
Yeah, big goal is to get get to number one. How do you go about putting together a roster? Is this a thing where you can go out and recruit players to come to Northern, or do you uh, get players already from campus? Unfortunately, yeah, we don't have that luxury of being able to recruit. Um, that would be fantastic if we could, but um, there's just some things I, my hands are tied with. So the guys, I rely on them at campus, or on campus, to recruit guys and just spread the word of the game, and they want to be part of a, a real great family and something to be proud of and be part of a winning team with a team you want to play for. Adam, tell me about the scoring that goes into rugby, uh, some of the positions maybe. Tell me about some things like that, what goes into it. Okay, so our fall season, uh, we have 15 guys on the field composed of eight forwards, which are typically your lineman style, quote-unquote. Uh, and then you got seven back uh, backline players are called. The differences between them, not very much other than the, the scrumming, which is the way to start play again after a knock. Do you find that you get a lot of guys from campus that have rugby experience, or is it all new to them? Uh, most of the time, it's, it's a completely new thing for the guys. Um, we got maybe one guy here that has prior playing experience from high school. A lot of those guys come from Wisconsin. Big rugby culture over in Wisconsin, which kind of helps us get those one or two guys a year. But, um, no, most of the guys are brand new to the sport like myself. Um, but you, you find your role very quickly, and the upperclassmen are there to bring guys up and not knock them down. We want everybody to want to be there. That kind of is the difference between us and a scholarship sport. Everybody on our team is a non-scholarship athlete. I mean, they're they're there because they want to be there. They're there because they, they want to learn the game. They want to be part of this winning team. The young guys step up very, very well when uh, coach when coach calls their number. Um, rug rugby's a tough sport, and uh, injuries happen. So when your number's called, you got to be ready no matter what. What does the off-season look like for you as an athlete? How do you try to get better during your downtime? Um, there's a bunch of guys uh, that stick around over the summer. We like hitting some, a couple beach workouts, tossing the ball around on the beach, uh, getting over to the pitch over on Lincoln and Wright Street. Um, we're just a close-knit uh, group of guys, and whenever we can just get out and toss a ball around, run around, get some good sprints and fitness in, you know, we're doing that as a, uh, as a team. We encourage the group fitness aspect of it. Talking with head coach Jordan Boss and Adam Ortman of the Northern Michigan rugby team. Coach, how many do you have on a roster at a given time, and are you seeing growth in the program over the last few years? Uh, yeah, um, at any given time, we allow 22, a max of 22 on your roster, and um, it's sad in a way because every season we'll start with maybe 27, 30 guys, which is great. That's enough to have two teams. And as the guys figure out how hard it is physically, mentally, they seem to just drop out one by one and you end up back with your squad of 20 guys, 22 if I'm lucky. What about the uh, regular season? You said it's a fall sport. What does a regular schedule look like for you? How many games do you try to get a season and how far do you have to go to play some of them? Well, regular season consists of mostly Wisconsin area. We play Whitewater, Milwaukee, um, Lacrosse used to be in our division. They have just recently dropped out. Uh, University of Stout. Platteville. Platteville. Okay. And Platteville is our furthest game mm. to play. And, um, yeah, they, they, each season they try and um, mix it up so that you're not doing most all the traveling. So we get probably two to three home games a season. But this season it seems like they've added two new teams to our division. And 
One of them is Minnesota Duluth, who has won the national championship in previous years. Well, you mentioned the national championship. How does the postseason work? Do you, how do you qualify for the national tournament? And then maybe uh, how many rounds you got to take to get there, where they host the tournament, what have you? First, you got to start by just winning your cross-conference game. So you play your six uh, regular season games. Uh, if you have one of the best records in your, your side of the conference, you play the, the team from the south that has a similar record. If you win that, uh, you'll travel to uh, Cottage Grove near Madison, Wisconsin, uh, where you usually play a max of two games. Um, typically, we have a tougher conference because we have uh, Whitewater, which has won the national championship probably three of the last five years. So we kind of get at-large bids. Typically, they take the top three, sometimes the top four, sometimes only two teams um, to get go play to the national tournament. Uh, after that, I think it's three rounds. Yeah, and everything is pretty much held in Wisconsin uh, between Cross Conference and Cottage Grove. After that, it's kind of wherever the USA Rugby League decides that regional game is going to be held. Well, this is for either of you. You mentioned Wisconsin is a rugby hotbed a few times. Is rugby a sport where you get teams from all across the country that have college uh, programs, or is it, you know, kind of like hockey where they've got Minnesota and Michigan, Wisconsin, then the New England area, kind of a spotty hotbed landscape, or is rugby pretty well spread out around America? I would say it's pretty well spread out. I say the Midwest and like Colorado, Montana, like that part of the West is where a large majority of like the hot spots are. Um, yeah, Wisconsin is just our closest uh, neighborhood for the rugby culture. It's where, we, you know, obviously our conference is and stuff like that. So, Well, what do you have coming up here in the uh, coming weeks? Any events, tournaments, what have you? Uh, yeah, this weekend our seventh team is going to be traveling to uh, Cottage Grove, actually, to compete uh, in a national qualifier tournament. If they place in this, they will move on to the national playoff tournament, similar to our 15 season in the fall. Um, the sevens works very similar here in the spring. Um, myself, I will not be participating. I'm a forward. I'm a little bit slower, more, more powerful. Um, but, yeah, the guys got a big tournament coming up this week. And then uh, Lakefront Sevens is in June. That's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, that'll be a good time as well. So when you say 15s and 7s, are you referring to the number of players that are on the field at a given time? Correct, correct. Yeah, so 15s is played with 15 guys on the field. Uh, your 15 guys play both offense and defense simultaneously, and same with 7s in the spring. You only have 7 guys. They're usually more quicker, a little more spread out. Uh, it's just a faster, quicker game than in the fall. Looking forward to continuing to follow Northern Michigan Rugby. Head coach Jordan Buss, Adam Mortman in the studio with me. Appreciate you both being on here, and we'll have you on again here real soon. Thank you Thanks very so much. much Roll moose. That's it for us in the sports pen. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tanner Hoops.